This is Mount Pleasant United Methodist Church. Welcome to our sermon podcast. It is so good to be with you this morning. This is a special time because this is kind of the, the time after the time. What I mean is, is like normally we pour out on, on Advent and Christmas and, and all the celebration And everybody gets so gung-ho, and that's exciting, and it's a new year. But this is the time after the time, and this is the time that's kind of like going, so what do we do with all of that? What does it mean? And so here we are in 2020. Is that not exciting? That's what I thought, too. (laughs) It's also a little, I have to be honest, it's a little disappointing. I always had this idea that that I would be farther along than I am in 2020. You know, there's a job, there's a job description as a futurist, and what futurists do is they kind of project what they think the world will be like in 20, 30 years. Now, that sounds like a pretty good gig if you can get it, right? If they'll actually pay you to do that, I'd be happy to tell you what I think it'll be like in 30 years. I may not be here to actually find out what it will be like, but I'll be happy to tell you what I think. And 30 years ago, people were projecting, saying, what do you think it'll be like in 2020? And so they made these projections. One of the top gifts, they figured that one of the top gifts in 2020, Christmas gifts, would be trips to outer space. You'd be able to take a trip to outer space. Do you know what the number one gift this year was? An Amazon gift card. I thought we'd be a little bit farther than that, didn't you? Right behind an Amazon gift card was a Starbucks card. So, I mean, we're doing pretty well. I mean, people went for coffee. I don't mind that. Um, People thought that maybe by this time, our life expectancy would have skyrocketed. The average life expectancy would be about 150 years. People thought, for example, that maybe, you know, we would no longer really be doing dishes or... (laughs) And I... It's, it's great. You have Mike to do the dishes. That's good. The laundry, vacuuming, right? Because we'd have all these robots. They'd be doing, you know, you wouldn't know what to do with all the time that you had. You know, how's that working out for you? But you know, to be honest, like on a personal level, I always thought that I would be farther along than I am. I always figured that, you know, by 2020, right, I would have this church thing figured out. I'd know why people do what they do and say what they say. I'd have the spirituality thing figured out. You know, I thought maybe, um, and I said this early in the, in the early service, we've been married for quite a, for a while. I don't want to say quite a while. That makes it sound bad. We've been married for a while. I thought I would have this marriage thing down by now. I thought I would be in like the pro level of, of marriage. And, and I find sometimes I'm not even on the JV team, Right? Parenting, you know, knowing your teen. I thought I'd have that figured out by now, right? It's 2020. Surely we would have this all figured out. And sometimes I don't have a clue what's going on. Have you ever answered that question for yourself? If you were to answer that question, I thought by now I would what? What are you wrestling with? What are you struggling with in your life? Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's how you see yourself in the mirror, what you think about yourself. I thought I'd have that down by now. I thought that maybe by now, 
You know, here we've gotten this book that's been handed down through the centuries that has guided nations and civilizations and, and authorities. And yet we struggle sometimes to understand the words of God in our own life. We struggle to understand who we are. We believe, or I believe, that you were made for more than where you are now. The problem that I have struggled with is not everybody believes that about themselves. A lot of times we get so down on ourselves about where we are, we just kind of give up. We just kind of go with the motions, we go with the flow, we just kind of go through, through what's really happening. And we stop kind of really growing in our lives. And so when we come to 2020, we come to a new, a new year or even a new decade, and we say, what is it that's holding us back? Where do you want to go? We struggle to understand how we got here. And so as 2020 unfolds, I'm both excited about what will unfold and also a little disappointed that I haven't progressed as far. Maybe you are too. And maybe we, even as a church, when we look at our own life as a church, we kind of go, we're doing good, but I, you know, I really thought we would be doing better than we are now. What, what's holding us back? Now, whenever I think about that, the first thing that we have to ask is there's a couple of questions. How did I get where I currently am? How did I get here? Because oftentimes what happens is we focus on the big things in our lives, the big moments in our lives, right? Marriages, births, maybe you got your first job, you graduated from high school, you graduated from college, whatever it is, we look at these monumental moments and we say life is made up of a series of these events. How did I get where I am? Sometimes we want to blame others. Circumstances, well, if it hadn't been for so-and-so or if this hadn't happened, and, and we often take where we are and we push it off onto somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's fault that life has turned out the way it is for me. But I want you this morning to ask that question, where, how did I get where I am now? Because as soon as you ask that, you want to ask another question that falls right on the heels. So how can I get where I want to be? What is it that you're looking for this morning? As, as you've come out on a cold January day, you, you decided you wanted to get up in the morning, you made a decision to come here looking for something because you believe that in your life, this moment, this hour, this, this time together that God is speaking into your life. So those two questions always kind of haunt us in the back of our mind. How did I get where I am? And... How do I get where I want to be? And the beautiful thing is, is the answer to those questions is the same thing. The same thing to answer both of those questions. One decision at a time. One decision at a time. Sometimes we struggle in our relationships. Sometimes there are marriages that are struggling. And it isn't about one monumental thing. Oftentimes, it's about a thousand little decisions that have built up over time to cause a crisis. We look at people that are way over their heads in debt, and it's very rarely that it's one single purchase that did anything. It's, it's all those thousands of little insignificant decisions over time that build up and finally create a problem. It's oftentimes what we call the pathway principle. What that means is it's the pathway, it's that one single step 
That everything in our lives is a reflection of the decisions and the choices that you have made. So if you want other destinations, you have to make other choices. You have to make other decisions. It isn't about the monumental things. It's about the little things that add up. And here's the thing. This is the one principle that you want to embed into your children because children have the hardest time understanding this. And what I find is a lot of adults are having a lot of time understanding this principle. It's all these little choices, all these little decisions that build up over time. It's what's called the, the principle of the harvest or, or the, the law of decisions. Every decision that you make is like a seed that you plant in the ground. It's a seed. Even though it's insignificant and it's small, that seed begins to work. Every decision that you make about who you are and who you want to be is like a seed that gets planted in the ground. And eventually that seed has to bring forth a full harvest. It eventually gives root. All those little deceits. Think about it this way. If you're going to graduate from college or you're going to graduate from high school, it isn't that one graduation. That graduation celebrates the thousands of other decisions, the other days in class, the other moments of studies, the tests that preceded it. It's that one culmination of everything that is happening. If you feel that your life is drifting away from God, it's not about one single decision, it's about the thousands of little choices you make every day in order to decide the kind of person that you want to become. The problem is, we often don't see it that way. We look so narrowly focused, we only see the here and now. Every decision that you make is a seed that you are planting for the harvest that is eventually coming. You make your choices, and then your choices make you. On a day like today, if you said, I am a Christ follower, I, I want God in my life, I need his help, I need his support, and yet when Sunday morning comes, you decide to roll over and sleep in, and you say, I don't understand why I'm not changing in my life because of the decisions that we make. We see this played out, especially Paul understands this. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes the following. He says, please, my friends, don't be misled. No one is going to make a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. Now, the person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others and ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he will have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. Paul recognizes what is known as the ripple effect. Little decisions added up over time, multiplied, give rise to the big things that are in your life. And so the problem is that we come to 2020, we want to ask you, what are the things that you want in your life? When you take a serious look at who you are, the kind of person, the things that you want in 2020, if you were like me and you're saying, you know, I really thought I would be farther along in my spiritual life. Maybe you've been married for a number of years. You said, I really thought we would be a lot closer than we are. I thought that my children would have a better sense of who they are, of what their identity is and I don't understand, then maybe we have to understand the power of the ripple effect. Little decisions, when multiplied over time, 
will produce a harvest. What you have to be asking yourself as a parent, as a grandparent, what kind of seeds have you been planting? Have you intentionally been planting weeds in their lives? Then guess what? This is where you are today. The other thing is is that a single step in a right direction can be the greatest leap in your life. So here's the challenge that I want to ask you this morning. When you hear that opportunity that every decision is a seed, do you hear that as a, a, as a warning? Do you ever think of that as a threat? Like, oh, what, my, what have I been doing? What have I been doing? Maybe you see that as, as a warning that we ought to get it together. You ought to take ownership and responsibility, perhaps. But maybe, and maybe what you should be doing is looking at that as an opportunity. Maybe I ought to start planting different seeds. There's still hope. The seeds that you plant today are going to produce a harvest in the future. So what seeds are we going to plant today? Sometimes we come to our children and we, we get them on, uh, and we say, this is, we are all about the church. Unless, of course, there's something more important that we need to do. And so we plant the seeds of doubt and of isolation, and of compartmentalization. We have to be asking ourselves, what seeds are we planting both as a church and as individual Christians in their lives? This is both the ripple effect and the pathway principle. Now, I wanted to share with you some idea of how this plays out, especially in the Gospels. And I wanted to start with John's Gospel, the first, in the first chapter of John's Gospel, where Jesus is calling his disciples, and they too must make decisions about who they are and about where they're going. They have to make those decisions which will, in time, produce a harvest that all of us are living under. I'm reading from John's gospel, the first chapter, beginning with the 35th verse. Now, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said to his disciples, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want. Now think about the power of Jesus's first words in calling his disciples. So let's, let's put this into, into some visualization, if you will. Jesus, John is at the Jordan River. He's baptizing. He is actually developing quite a following. It tells us that some of the Pharisees have traveled all the way from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is no small matter. John has a good following, and all of a sudden, he encounters Jesus, and he says, there is the Lamb of God. In Matthew's gospel, it goes further, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he tells his disciples, and his disciples start following this one following out. And Jesus turns around, and and he looks around, and he sees all these people. He said, what do you want? And so you've come up this morning, you, you showed up this morning, you got out of bed, hopefully you combed your hair a little bit, uh, maybe you even took a bath, hopefully, the people sitting next to you know if you did or you didn't, um, but you got up this morning because of what? Jesus is asking you the same thing this morning. So 
What do you want? Why are you here? What, what is it that you're looking for? Why have you come this morning? Do you know? And so the first thing that we have to understand is the decisions of today, the most important decision is a personal decision. What are you looking for? Encounters with Jesus always lead to decisions. He asked the disciples, what do you want? What is it that is stirring in your soul? What is it that you are hungering for? What is it in this new, new decade that you've been looking for? What is it that is aching in your soul? Better relationship with your loved ones, with your God, with yourself. Because here's the thing, is until you can answer that question, you will always live sort of a divided life. You will always be torn and twisted by other demands upon your life. Because what I have found over the years is that the little decisions will always loom large when the big decisions haven't been made yet. If you don't know who you are, other people will start telling you who you are. This is the core of what marketing is really all about. Good marketing will tell you, promise you things for yourself that you need that you never knew you needed before. It will tell you the kind of cars you have to have and you never knew you needed it. It will tell you the kind of job or the, the things that you need to have in your life to be really successful. Because until you know who you are, all these other voices will turn you in other directions. It's like sitting on a fence. Whenever you're sitting on the fence, you're always anxious. Which side are you gonna fall down on? Because you're on neither side, you can't decide. Making those decisions is the most important thing that you can do. Who are we? What does our life really mean? And the children are asking you that question too. We talked about the youth. But the children are asking you as parents and as, as leaders of this church, who am I? Can you tell me? Because if you don't know, I guarantee there's a bunch of people out there that are willing to tell them who they are. And all of them are not friendly voices. Some of them want to destroy them. We have to understand who we really are. What are we looking for? Are we looking for the now? Are we looking for the temporary? Or are we looking in the future? One of the things that differentiates adults from children, adults can see how things add up over time and the consequences. Very often, if you've ever taken one of your children to the grocery store, and you ever go through the, the aisle with all of the cereal? The kids want everything that either has a toy in it or has maxed out in sugar content, right? But you're the parent. And so you have to say, no, I, I gotta look at your health. I gotta look at your long-term. Children are unable to see the long-term. They have to grow into it. As adults, are you able to see the long-term impact of your decisions, your choices? Sometimes when we roll over on a Sunday morning, we are planting seeds that will give rise to fruit in their time. Sometimes it is the pressure of what we want in the moment that often determines the outcome for a lifetime. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that we are so short-term thinking, we're, we're so interested, what is in my best interest right now? And often that leads to a disaster. All you really have to do is probably talk to somebody that's strung out on cocaine or heroin to understand the impact of that. One simple moment leads to a lifetime of disaster. 
We're often so short-term seekers that we fail to see who we really are. So we come to these moments and we say, what decisions do I have to make? James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And he wrote a book about how our habits, how our rituals, how the things that we do on a regular basis will be strung out over the long term and impact our happiness and our satisfaction. He goes on to, he goes in and he writes, he said, as a general rule, the more immediate pleasure that you get from an action, the more strongly that you should question whether it aligns with your long-term goals. What is immediately rewarded is usually repeated. We're short-term thinkers, and children particularly are focused on what do I want now? And so they often have temperaments or, or tantrums in order to get what they want now. Now, in Christian language, we have a term for that, don't we? What do we call short-term thinkers? Temptation. Temptation, the trouble with temptation is it is so much fun, comma, at the beginning. It always seems like a good idea, doesn't it? It always comes with a positive spin with it, a lure, a temptation, something to draw you in. Take care of yourself. Just think about what you need for the right now until the hook comes and we fail to see the long term. What church is really trying to do is trying to get you involved in a relationship that lasts not for 70 or 80 years in this life, but for eternity and a life to come, to think of the long-term implications of what you're doing and, more importantly, of what you're not doing. Be aware of the decisions. Wake up, O slumberer. And so the disciples encountered Jesus, and, and John comes to them, and he said, see, there is the Lamb of God, and they start following, and Jesus says, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, tell me, where are you staying? And he said, come, he replied, and you will see. Now, what's interesting about this is John has a following, right? John has built up, if you will, John has built up his own ministry. He's doing well for himself. He's got a group around him. And when he encounters Jesus, he does something wildly radical. He said, there goes the Lamb of God. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. Most of our decisions are done completely the other way around. What's in my best interest? I am going to do every Sunday or every day what's in my best interest. What will bring me pleasure today at the expense of others, at the expense of my health, at the expense of what other people think? So the second decision that you have to make is a the first one is a personal decision. The second one is a disciple's decision. Will there be more of Jesus and less of me? Are you at the center of your universe? Does everything revolve around you? What's in my best interest? What do I get out of that? Or is there something higher that you're focusing on? John had a whole group around him. He had his own ministry and he said, see, you guys, don't follow me, follow him. He must increase, I must decrease. Until we understand our perspective, until we understand what is the most important thing, will you be able to understand 
what's most important in your life. Somebody once said it's like focusing on your top, bo- top button. Know what your top button is. For those of you, and most of this is for the guys, I suspect, if you ever have a button-down shirt, if you're going to try and button your shirt, if you get the top button right, everything else will fall in sequence. If you screw that one up, if you get that one cattywampus, you can't put the other ones together because you're out of alignment. Focus on what is your top button. Jesus said it really well in Matthew's gospel. He said, look, it's very simple. Seek first the kingdom. Everything else will make sense after that. Your job, your relationships, your family, your self-identity, your path, your principles, everything will align once you get your top button right. The key to maturity is choosing between what you want now versus what you want most. Most of the time, we're focused on what is immediately needed by me. In any given situation, can you make a disciple's decision? Will this get me to where I want to go, where Jesus is calling me to go? And so Jesus said very simply to his disciples. He doesn't go to, his, to these new disciples. He said, oh, before you can follow me, I need you to read through Leviticus three times. I need you to pray. I need you to start talking. He doesn't give them that. He said, if you want to follow me, just come and see. Just come and see. Just start following me. Just start showing up. Be a part of what I'm doing. Just watch. Focus on your top button. Know what you, your life is really all about. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And I love this part. He said, so the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we've found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. I love this fact that he started following Jesus. Didn't have a really good idea what Jesus was about. Not really sure. I think he's the Messiah. The first thing he does is he goes and shares it with one other person. We have to make a personal decision. Who am I? We have to make a disciple's decision. What am I focused on? What is my life about? Is it about me or is it about Jesus? And then finally, we have to make a decision that is what I call a catalytic decision. He introduces one person, Peter, his brother. He goes, gets his brother, and he says, Peter, come and see this. Just come and see. And we know the story of Peter begins to unfold. We know that it begins one person at a time, one decision at a time one moment at a time. And so I'm going to challenge you this morning to make some catalytic decisions that we as a church, if we could gather together and we said, if we made one decision as a church together, the catalytic impact it would have on this community and this world. The first thing that I want you to do is that I want you to make one decision at a time. One decision to follow Jesus at a time. And here's the thing. If you, count, if you do the math, there are 10,000, you have, you have personally 10,080 minutes every week at your disposal. 
If you gave just 1%, 1%, that's about, that's a little bit more than an hour and a half. So if you were to give just an hour and a half spread out over an entire week, that's like 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day to getting closer to Jesus, just 1%. If you made the decision, a personal decision, one decision, that you would get up and you would say a prayer. Maybe you'd say a prayer at your desk at lunchtime. Maybe you would just open up God's Word and you would read one of the Gospels. But you would begin to do one thing. You would begin every day to plant different kinds of seeds because you wanted a harvest someday. You believed that something better was possible. When Andrew learned about who Jesus was, he made another decision. He said, I'm going to make a decision for one person at a time. Imagine that on average, we average a little over 200 every week in worship, on average throughout the year. Imagine if every one of those 200 made a commitment to invite just one person in the course of a year, just one person. And you don't have to go out and and knock on doors. Let me do a quick poll. How many of you are here this morning because somebody in a white shirt and a tie knocked on your door and asked you where you were going to spend eternity? How many of you, somebody put a brochure in your hand and explained to you salvation and said, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Are you going to be in heaven or hell? Are you here for that reason? Most of us are here because somebody simply said, come and see. Come and see what I found. Come and see the friends that I've made. Come and be a part of the community that I'm a part of. If 200 people in the course of a year just invited just one person and said, would you come and see? Statistics show that 80% of the people that are asked by a friend would willingly come and experience the new life that Jesus has offered for you. Just 80% if you would just ask. Imagine the impact of that multiplied over time, the harvest that we would have of joy. If we just did 1%, 1% and one new person and then make a commitment to one day at a time. I'm also going to be asking you, looking over this new year, what would happen if we could give 1% more of our income to the life and the ministries of the church? The impact that we could have on new ministries that, we're, that are just looking to, to awaken New opportunities to stretch our wings and do new, exciting things. And finally, I want to do one last thing. I believe that there are people out here that are more fan than they are followers. Fans are those people that come to the stands and watch what's happening whenever the weather conditions are right or it's going to be a good game or you're really excited about what it's all about. Followers are those people that follow Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. In good times and bad, whether it's Christmas or Easter, they're there to, to be in fellowship and to be worshiping and listen to what Jesus said. If you haven't made that decision to be a follower, if you're still on the fringe kind of going, I haven't really made that decision. Now is the time to plant those seeds. In a new decade, now is the time to say, I'm beginning again, to be a follower of Jesus in this new year to begin again and to start all over again. Make that commitment because I believe you are made for more than where you are. My challenge and the challenge for our church is to help you believe that this church and that you personally were made for more than where you are now. And if you believe that you are, then this verse is for you. 
The Lord will tell you, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. If you're sitting here this morning kind of going, I feel like something is missing. I feel like this new decade is upon us and I thought I'd be a lot farther in my relationships and in in my well-being and in my spiritual life than I am. Then now is the time to make one decision at a time. Because the bottom line is, is if you won't make it, somebody else will. And it may not lead you to where you think you want to be. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have gathered this morning from all kinds of backgrounds. We come with hopes and dreams and aspirations to be better disciples. We haven't always followed where you've led and we certainly have made bad decisions. But this is that opportunity to call us out, to help us to stand and to make new decisions one day at a time. Help us, Father, to believe that there's so much more that's that you have in store for us, that good days are ahead, and that together we can get there. So guide us, speak to us in the quietness of our hearts, and Father, help us to follow you wherever you lead. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.